Welcome to A Life Shared, where we talk with everyday people who empower, equip, and encourage others right where they are. I'm Ellen Martin. Glad you've joined us. If you're a regular guest, you know that most episodes are 15 to 20 minutes. This one went a little long, so we'll dive right in with today's guest, Melissa, a local labor and delivery nurse whose personal experiences and professional history allows her to be a frontline leader right where she is. Melissa, welcome to A Life Shared. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We have everyday guests who empower, equip, and encourage others right where they are. And as a labor and delivery nurse, you really do all three. How long have you been a labor and delivery nurse? So I've been a nurse for about 15 and a half years, and I've been caring for laboring women for the last 11 years. I've worked in a lot of different types of birth centers, um, birthing units or different hospitals. Yeah. And in different parts of the country. And, you know, you've lived in a part of the country where natural deliveries are far more common. And and now you're in a part of the country where that's not the case. So you really have had a varied experience set as a nurse. Yes. I like to say that I was raised by midwives and doulas. And so um, coming to Kentucky about eight years ago, I had a much different experience. And so it was a big learning curve for me. Like you said, most often I've cared for women without the use of medication during their birth experience. Since we've moved here, it's been a big change. I work in a hospital that does high risk labor and delivery and some, like you say, low tech. Also, there's a good mix of all Mm -hmm. of it. And Mm -hmm. so you have to be prepared always for whatever rolls in the door, which is kind of exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as regular listeners know, I have five children. And so I've done this a few times. <laughs> uh, my husband and I joke that we really didn't have a clue what we were doing until maybe birth number three or four. Uh, we joke that we were slow learners. <laughs> but, you know, every delivery that we had was very distinct. And some were far more natural deliveries than others and and some required interventions. So I love at this point in your career that you really are equipped to meet patients wherever they are. It's really an honor to be in that space. I know firsthand that you are exceptional at your job. And I've also heard from others in the field, um, both professionally, midwives, doulas, and then other patients, the positive experiences they have had working with you. Can you tell us a little bit about the team and the experience of a labor and delivery? So before I delve into that part, I'm just Mm going to talk a little bit about birth itself. Please. Um, um, My philosophies towards birth are that it's a life-changing experience, as I'm sure you know, and every (laughs) baby is welcomed into the world. Um, That day is a day that is permanently imprinted into a woman's mind. Yeah. Um, Like you can remember when you're... (laughs) kid was when your baby was born and I was there and you'll remember all of your births. Yeah. So my goal as a labor and delivery nurse is to help that mom to have a positive birthing memory Mm -hmm. by honoring her space and empowering her to make the best decisions about her birth that she can given the situation at hand. Mm -hmm. So like you said, things can change and things don't always go the way that we want. Right. Um, We know that sometimes our bodies don't work the way that we would like them to. Yeah. And sometimes our babies have other plans. (laughs) 
So a woman's choices during her pregnancy and her childbirth are important. Having that sort of birthing philosophy is really important to me. And Mm -hmm. that's how I lead my team. I love that. As far as the team goes, I think the most important part of the birthing team is the person giving birth. Um, The birthing person usually has a partner, but not always. So the person that is usually with the birthing person, I like to refer to them as their primary support person. Mm -hmm. Um, That may be a partner, it may be a spouse, it may be um, a best friend or a mom or a sister Mm -hmm. or whoever their primary support person is. Uh, Then you've got your labor and delivery nurse and you've got either an OB or a midwife. Um, Where I work, I'm most often the charge nurse. So I oversee the entire labor and delivery unit. So I have a good sense of what's going on with all of the patients. Mm -hmm. I act as a resource. And when a birth happens, I'm responsible for the baby's immediate needs after they're born. Mm. Uh, Often we'll have a surgical tech too. They help the doctor and midwife do any sort of repair work that needs to happen after the birth. Or if the baby needs an alternate birthing route, the surgical tech helps with the OB in the operating room. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes we do work with doulas. They can be a great, great part of the birthing team to have. For any of your listeners who aren't sure what a doula is, um, they are support people who are not emotionally invested, typically, like a partner. They're professionals. Mm -hmm. But their primary goal is the emotional support of the person giving birth. And they are an amazing resource. Sometimes we'll collaborate in the hallway about, you know, know, the birth is going this way. What can we do? Do you have any ideas? Do you have any ideas? And try Mm -hmm. to, you know, give that person the best experience that they can. Or, you know, if there's someone who comes in with a plan of wanting things to go really smoothly and they're not. And the last holdout is we really want her to just have a vaginal delivery because she's had to have all of these interventions that she didn't have. So what do we need to do to try to make this thing happen? So we're also a very well-oiled machine. Um, Labor and delivery, I like to refer to as as being a team sport. (laughs) (laughs) We all look out for one another. We all jump in when babies misbehave and need to be born quickly. Mm. Um, It's really like a sisterhood and I love it. What is it like when you have a a person in labor who's not nice. So it does happen. It's, it's fairly rare because we live in an area where there's um, a lot of uh, seminary families. Mm. (laughs) I've, I've birthed a lot of seminary wives and they always apologize for cursing (laughs) because that's not their norm. Mm. But I tell them all like you it's a, it's a big deal. It's one of the biggest days of your life and whatever you need to do to get through it stays in this room. Oh, I totally cussed with my first one several times and it was funny because the midwife kept looking at me and she's like, "You're a seminary student." And I'm like, yeah. "Back off, lady." Like I can't believe. <laughs> yeah, she was so confused and I was day. like, Yeah, this is not confusing to me. I am in a serious amount of pain. I was my first child. He was face up. We got stuck at eight centimeters for a really long time. (laughs) And I oscillated between saying, oh, beep, I can't do this. And Jesus, help me. I think I'm going to die. Those were my two mantras during the time and transition when I was stuck with my first one. That's funny that people apologize. Yeah, or they'll apologize for being mean that they're having a rough time and definitely deserve a lot of grace. Yes. Um, My job 
right now is part-time charge nurse and part-time nursing education and staff development. But when I graduate, I'm hoping to move more towards full-time education. My job in staff development is part-time classroom and part-time clinical. So it's about continuing staff education. It's about orienting new staff to maintain competency Mm -hmm. in different skills that are required. Becoming a labor and delivery nurse is a steep, steep learning curve even for nurses who've worked in other areas Mm -hmm. before. So we do triage. So we have like an obstetrics emergency department. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's pregnant that comes in gets seen through us and not through the regular ED Mm -hmm. unless it's something like a major trauma. We also need to be prepared to act quickly and do surgical birth. Mm -hmm. So we run an operating room. Mm -hmm. We do recovery room, Mm -hmm. and we also care for at least two patients in one body. Yes. (laughs) A couple of days ago, I took care of four patients in one body, and that was a real super honor. That's special. I also stay current with clinical practice and evidence-based practice, and my office is in the hospital, so I'm able and available to jump in wherever I'm needed. Yeah. So you're really... A nurse on site overseeing birthing teams, as you said, on site, while also continuing equipping and skills of that staff. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Exactly. Yeah. So yesterday was an office day for me, and Mm -hmm. I spent the morning working on uh, hypertension drills. So we did practice runs of a patient coming in with high blood pressure and having mm-hmm. a seizure okay. and how would the staff respond. Okay. Uh, the middle part of my day, I taught a new staff member a lot of new skills that she'll need to have working in labor and delivery. Mm-hmm. And then I did in the afternoon, another postpartum drill for hypertension in the mother baby unit. And because those are different care areas, labor mm-hmm. and delivery has a little bit of a more higher acuity. And so different responses are required based on where it occurs. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Before 2019, depending on where you live in the world, definitely 2020, the C word was cancer for most people, but it's probably fair to say for most, it's now become COVID. Absolutely. How has COVID um, in a professional way impacted the work you do and how you and your team care for your patients um, and also how you're able to do your job. That's heavy. (laughs) I I know. And (laughs) it's, you know, it's so heavy that I really didn't even want to ask about it. But in preparing for the interview, it would be like the obvious omission, right? I mean, it would almost be like, okay, she talked to uh, somebody who works in a hospital, somebody who is a charge nurse. You know, you have lots of levels of responsibility. To not ask would seem like the most obvious omission. As far as working in obstetrics, most women who can get pregnant and stay pregnant are relatively healthy. Mm. But I have seen a lot of very, very sick pregnant women with COVID. Mm. And far, far more with this Delta variant than last year at the onset. We have had very sick pregnant women in the ICU. 
we have unfortunately seen COVID cause stillbirth and it impacts families. Uh, Having a baby is a really exciting event and we've had to limit visitors in the hospital to decrease exposure to both staff and patients. I've had a lot of really excited grandparents on FaceTime in the delivery room that we've never had before. We're trying to be creative and honor their birth space and give them somewhat of an experience that they would like, but we also have to do it in a really safe way. We've also had families that have waited outside the hospital and and had little tailgate parties, or we've had families that'll draw sidewalk chalk messages outside the parents' rooms. So it's definitely a really different time. As a woman who has given birth five times at the hospital where you work, and as a long hauler, and I still have lapses over a year later of getting sick, I don't even really know where to go with this interview right now, Melissa, um, because the idea of those two worlds colliding. Emotions are really, really high for everybody. You know, when you talk about patients who are really sick with covid I just can't imagine such a reality laid upon, like you said, what's supposed to be a really wonderful experience. Having a a patient who's very sick with COVID, we've got to keep a really close eye on their oxygenation level and continuously monitor their baby because for that baby to be well well oxygenated is important. Yeah. And, you know, I, I need to be really clear to listeners that this interview is not about an agenda. It's about a conversation. Our staffing is a, is is very difficult. Our patients are sicker than what we're used to. Uh, nurses have left the bedside to go travel. So this is part of where my education piece comes in is that I'm working really, really hard to be a good role model while I'm on staff mm-hmm. and also in my educator role to help to build and train nurses that are going to be prepared to take care of these really sick patients. I really appreciate your willingness to talk about something that's difficult, especially while there's no end in sight for how that will impact your work. And, um, and as you said, it's more difficult this year than it was last year professionally. So with that said, it would seem like a great time to get out of a hospital, Melissa. You have patients who are sicker than ever. You're going to graduate in February. You'll be a nurse educator. I'm sure you're looking to uh, to relocate and reorganize how you serve the community. What are your plans for that? So I'm definitely looking at different options, but uh, I have kids who really, really like where they are in school and we like where we live and I really like the place that I work for. Uh, yes, a lot of my peers have left the team to go chase the money and get job as travel nurses, but I think it's really important to stay where you are and to do the hard thing. Mm. I'm invested in where I am and I want to see the place that I work be the best that it can be. And I want my team to be the best that it can be. And the only way to help to make that happen is to help it grow. Yeah. Growth and- is really hard. And change is hard. For you, you're not delaying a transition into education. You're capitalizing on the opportunity as a charge nurse that you have with staff development, um, with the opportunity to serve patients and really pour into the education and development of the staff that you currently serve. Is that correct? That is correct. 
The nurse that I worked with yesterday, um, I took her over to the sim lab and we practiced a lot of different skills. And I was telling her how much I love that our hospital has this sim lab, that mm-hmm. it has a mannequin that can give birth and we can put a baby in it and do different things with it. But one of the real great things about being in education and being a charge nurse right now is that if we have uh, an event on the unit where something happens with a patient and a nurse doesn't understand or there's a skill that's difficult, mm-hmm. you know, when we have that moment, I can walk her over and say, let's practice this until you do understand. Yeah. So I, I really love doing both and being able to build up my team when those moments occur. I think that's where greater learning occurs when it is relevant. I love it. Have you always been someone who says hard things are hard, but it's important to stay and do hard things? Or is that somebody you have become over time? That is someone that I have become over time. With the loss of my daughter five years ago, running away was emotionally and physically the easiest thing to do. Mm -hmm. But staying and trying to build my family and trying to work on that was the hard thing, but the important thing to do. Most of us don't have experiences like that. That's a hard that that is distinct. But what would you say to people who have hard things in front of them? and, And it is easier not to do it. How would you encourage them? to stay and and do the hard thing? I would say that trying to get around the hard thing is temporary. Mm. But going through the hard thing and making change or bettering oneself or bettering the situation Mm. can have long-term consequences. It's um, my husband was in full-time ministry years ago, um, a a pastor of a church, and people would often say to him in committee meetings, you know, well, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do this? You know, and part of being in leadership and being a leader is seeing the greater good Mm -hmm. or saying, saying no to good things to say yes to better things. Yes. Or like Gandhi says, I think it's Gandhi, I'm not even sure, to be the change that you wish to see in the world. Mm -hmm. I think having that bigger picture is a part of growth and maturity. Yeah. And no, it's not easy, but (laughs) it's the right thing to do. When I heard you say, you know, getting around the hard thing, it was immediately um, this image in my mind of like a lazy Susan. You really don't get around a lazy Susan. It just keeps spinning. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You know, it's stationary. It's really not going anywhere. Um, and what it is to discover that you're never getting around it because it's there. And really the question is, is when you give that part up, what do you do to to get where you're really wanting to go? Yeah, I remember uh, early on um, after my daughter died, uh, going to grief counseling and deciding that I didn't want to go. And I can look back at at it and laugh at myself now, but I remember telling my husband that I didn't want to go because I didn't feel better and it wasn't doing Mm. anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And I can laugh because I'm like, it's it's not going to feel better. It's not linear. It's not something that is just easily fixed. No. And the only way to get on the other side of that is to work through it. And it's really hard work. What would you say to parents who are listening who are expectant? I would first and foremost want to just say thank you. Um, thank you for trusting your care providers. Mm. We mm. really, really do want you to have the best experience that you can. And if you don't trust your care providers, please go find someone that you do trust Mm. because good people are out there. You are about to undergo a major life event. And we have spent a lot, like a lot, a lot of time and energy in college and continuing education to learn to practice evidence-based medicine Mm. and evidence-based nursing. So when you have a trusting relationship with your care provider, you can trust what they say. Um, about the recommendations that they make for your care. Ask us all the questions. Mm. We are a wealth of knowledge. And I promise that we know more than a Google search can give you. Mm. And we really want to be on your team. What would you say to nurses and others who work in facilities right now? Just in case nobody has said it to you today, nurses, I want you to know that I appreciate all of your hard work. And also, I want to say that no change ever happened by running away. So please find your home base and be the change. Melissa, thank you so much for this interview on A Life Shared. Truly, you empower, equip, and encourage people right where you are day in and day out. And for that, I say thank you. Thank you so much. I found myself silenced often in this interview with Melissa. For me, it was an editing nightmare after the interview to get this episode to you. But I really loved how Melissa was willing to have a heavy, difficult conversation and in her vulnerability to share the strength that she has found out of her own experience as a mother who's lost a child, her beautiful daughter, Evelyn. All of you listening who are pregnant and expecting, congratulations. And for all of you listening who are caring for us right where you are, at your day or night shift job as a medical provider. Thank you for helping me and my family and so many live a life shared. Thanks for joining me, Ellen Martin, for this episode of A Life Shared. I hope in some way you've been empowered, equipped, or encouraged to live a life shared right where you are. Join us next time. You never know who our guest will be. Thank you.